0: at the buzzer, it's good! Drops home! The place goes! Hits it at the buzzer, the Dayton
1: Flyers! Hand the podium in the Dayton Decibel dungeon! Sanford, all the way up! Oh, no. This is one of the
2: great talent basketball. This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast on the internet for Dayton Flyers basketball. Always wearing red and being loud.
1: Hey, here come the Flyers. Hey, here come the Flyers. Hey.
2: back to talking out loud the rapid reaction podcast coming to you again it's the night of tuesday january 10th and dayton just played the victor against the fordham rams in the bronx at rose hill gym 82-58. your final i'm sully he's drew and we're bringing you all of the action that went down on this fateful night avenging a day that will live in infamy forever for this program drew they avenged it anthony grant he had a sleepless night He was thinking about it all night. He came to the gym this morning. He instilled confidence in the team to say, I absolutely cannot lose here again, or my job will absolutely be on the line. No Dayton coach has ever lost twice at Rose Hill Gym, and he was surely, surely not going to be the first.
3: No, not at all. Uh, You could tell that he was fired up for this one. Uh, No no warm-ups at halftime. That was a good start uh, (laughs) to where we wanted to be at the end of the game, and where we wanted to be was... Exactly where we ended up. A uh, uh, demolition of an inferior opponent.
2: Of course I kid. Of course, listeners, I kid. Anthony Grant's job was not on the line tonight. However, I might have called for it if you lose another one at Fordham. Again, I kid. But Dayton now 34 wins Forty times they have played. I said that very poorly. You can tell I got to I got to shake off the dust, which is, which is which is weird. Um, and thank you for joining us on fourteen ten ESPN Radio or the podcast feed. We're back at you. We had the Fordham preview uh, earlier this week with the play by play man. He goes by Andrew Bogish. Good good call. Good job him. tonight.
3: you had a good, good call. job tonight. I was impressed.
2: He had a couple of uh, a couple of good one liners there on the broadcast. Um, The SNY broadcast is not great in itself, but um, you know, like the broadcast quality, not like the people that are on it. I mean, Um, but backing up what I meant to say and did it very poorly is that this was the 40th meeting between Dayton and Fordham. Dayton now owns wins in 34 of those 40 games. And since Fordham joined the league the same year Dayton did 1995 Drew do you want to take an early trivia guess at how many times they have lost to Fordham since joining the league in 1995 together as three brethren? times you're close Drew they lost the first year and then three times since making it four times and four. of course that fourth time 2021 that faithful day January 5th We all remember it like it was yesterday. Surely you do if you're listening to the podcast and you're a diehard Dayton Flyers fan or live in the area and you're on ESPN Radio listening to us. You surely know that we're talking about the 55-54 clunker that Dayton laid during the 2021 season at Rose Hill Gym. Who could possibly forget it, Drew? But it is avenged. Dayton comes out a winner and they keep the train rolling. That's all there is to it.
3: Yep, that's right. It's all all we needed. Came out of it healthy. Came out of it looking good, especially in that second half. Uh, 82 points. Uh, I don't have the figures in front of me, but I got to think that's a season high, no?
2: Um, That would be a season high for the Flyers. Their previous high was 80 points against southeastern Louisiana just over a month ago, almost exactly five weeks ago from this day.
3: So there you go. Uh, You know, season high in points. I don't care who you're playing to do that. It's always a good feeling for the team. Sixty-four percent from the field, forty-two percent from forty-three percent from three, basically, and seventy-eight percent from the line. So you know, you take a look at those three figures right there, and you got to be happy with what you walked away from.
2: A uh, quick correction, because again, shaking off some dust here in the early podcast segment, uh, Dayton scored eighty-eight against Alcorn State. I'm sorry, ah. Drew, I misled you. Um, ah, but well. you know, that's Alcorn State, and they're you know, Fordham's bad, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sugarcoat this for people. Like Fordham is not a good basketball team. They're Below average in the entire country, which means they're going to hover around 180 to 200 most of most of the year. Okay, they're probably going to walk out of a 10 play with like eight wins. I think nine and nine is probably their ceiling. All right, and they're still a comfy step above putting a 40 point shellacking on Alcorn State. So I I think that's the difference, outlay for listeners here, is like beating Alcorn State at home by 42 is a comfortable step below what we just saw tonight, which was total domination pretty much from start to finish, Drew. I mean, there were... Yeah, wire to wire. Yeah, it it was. I mean, Dayton led wire to wire, of course. Um, I think the lead got down to maybe 12 or 13 at one point. But really, the story of the game was the keys that we've outlaid time and time again, which is... And and you know, for listeners' sake, this is going to happen more nights than it's not in the A ten play. Dare I say, it's probably going to happen most nights. And when I say that, I mean that Deron's going to score twenty, and Dayton's going to have the defensive chops to hold teams in the conference to a poor three point shooting night. Like that is going to be the norm, and. As long as that's the norm, Dayton is not going to lose games. Whether Malley and Kobe are playing or not, Kobe-Elvis, the guard play just isn't a concern because we have so much length on the roster. You saw Blakeney do it tonight, uh, play D against Quisenberry, who is their best scorer in Fordham. He's plopping in about 17, 18 a game. And uh, Drew, said it before he went on, I mean, that was his whole job tonight. Point
3: blank. Yeah, I mean, he had RJ had one job and one job only. What he gave you on offense, one field goal, two free throws, uh, no assists, and four points. But the the job he did on defense was incredibly impactful because he held uh, Quisenberry to one of one of seven, and that one field goal came with about two minutes to go in the game. I'm pretty sure RJ wasn't even on the floor when that happened. Yeah, uh, No free throws. Defended him without fouling. Didn't have a personal foul tonight, which is a Huge. nice little note there. Um, And he only had three points and completely locked him out. And if you're going to completely lock out Quisenberry, Fordham doesn't have an option two or three to go to when he's getting taken away. And that was pretty evident tonight. Uh, They could not generate a lot of offense on their own. Most of their baskets were either tough baskets under the rim or miscommunications on Dayton's part that led to an easy three or an easy layup. So uh, yeah, overall, What we've come to expect from this Dayton team defensively, I've said it before, the offense is what it is, but when you play this Dayton squad, you're signing up for a full 40 minutes of them being in in your shorts on defense. And that was evident of that tonight.
2: Yeah, and and, I mean, that's the identity of Dayton to this point, right? Um, I said it on Twitter earlier this week when I I try on Mondays to kind of go through the numbers after – uh, there's a lot of college basketball that gets played on weekends. so I try to shake it out afterwards. And, you know, if you're not a student of the metrics like we are here on the show, basically what you're looking at right now is that Dayton has the best defense that they've had under Anthony Grant. Um, it, it's a step above even the defense that they had in 2020. Um, and that's again, that's just statistical information. That's not me opining um, or conjecture of any way. Statistically, Dayton has a defense that is right now about three points per game better um, than the 2020 defense. Okay, so they have the 18th best defense in the country, Uh, effective field goal percentage for opponents. Dayton right now is sixth in the entire nation. All right. They are 14th in the country at limiting their opponents getting to the free throw line. They're opposing three-point field goal percentage. What opponents are shooting behind the arc? That's 26% on the season. That is good for fourth in the entire nation. Basically, every defensive metric that matters besides the turnover numbers, how many turnovers Dayton is forcing, are all in the top 40. And that's why you're seeing the numbers that you are. I mean, Dayton hasn't given up 60 points in a game over the last seven. They haven't had a close game over the last seven. Basically, since they got off the plane back from Virginia Tech, they have not really struggled in any game yet, and that's the formula. You're, you're going to keep seeing it. You're going to keep hearing us repeat it. Is that when they have the stifling defense, they don't even need to turn the ball, turn people over, right? They don't need to, to get turnovers tonight. Of course, they did. Uh, right out of the gate, they had 12 against Fordham, and they they finished the game uh, with 15. So even in the second half, Fordham cleaned up the turnovers, and they were hitting threes basically at will because I looked up some of the stats right when we hit the half, Drew, and Fordham was shooting 14% from the three-point arc. I can't remember what that shakes out to. It it was something low. But they finished the game nine for 30 from three-point land, good enough for 30%. That number, 30%, is the highest number Dayton has given up in these last seven games. So that should tell you everything you need to know about how well they're chasing teams off the three-point arc. And of course, if this team is chasing teams off, if if the Dayton team is chasing their opponents off the three-point arc, well, guess what's waiting for them down low? One of the best shot blockers in the country and Tamani Kamara, who is no slouch on his own. So I think... In the first segment here tonight, um, you know, it's not really as important to go over the X's and O's. All right, you know, here, here's what Dayton was running. Here's what Fordham was running. We can certainly talk about all that. But the the overall point tonight is that the combination that Dayton has produced on defense is going to be enough against most teams in the league. And that's why I feel pretty optimistic about them getting to 15 or 16 wins right now. Uh, what other takeaways did you have from the game tonight, Drew?
3: Well, other than you know, Duran, you know, putting up another another thirty point performance with thirty two, uh, Kamara, who was limited in the first half with foul trouble, um, thought we were a little clunky on offense in the first half. To be honest, only thirty three points, but when we he came back into the game, he he really uh, established himself in the flow of of the second half very early, very aggressive right out of the gate, fifteen points all in the second half. I came away really impressed with him, uh, Kobe Berea. Uh, who had the most fans in in the building tonight? Uh, they said on My the broadcast he had over a hundred a hundred tickets uh, for tonight's game. Perfect four for four from three, twelve points, five assists, three steals, seven boards. I mean, shoot! If you're if we're gonna get that from Kobe, the rest of the season, sign me sign me right up for that. Yeah, Zimmy uh, some good minutes when when he was when he had his opportunities as well. So all in all, it, it's a it's a result that was expected but one that is welcome and it's building momentum towards a pretty big tilt Friday night.
2: Yeah. The, the tilt on Friday night doesn't have the same juice as a normal UD VCU game. Um, But as we talk about every year, you know, winning cures all. And um, I I think it's fair to say when Dayton went to Virginia tech, took an absolute whooping and, and they ended up being five and five. I think it was fair to ask where does the season go from here, right? Um, Dayton had three games left in the non con, and we weren't really sure what we were going to get moving forward. I mean, I think that's more than fair to say at that five and five point, especially with the nature of the game, Virginia Tech, right? Like Dayton got absolutely run out of the gym that night. And that game was never close in the same fashion that this game was never close, right? And the result actually is fairly close. 82-58 tonight in Fordham. They lost to Virginia Tech 77-49. So the deficits were fairly close. And um, it's been a turnaround. and And it's been two-fold. And there's a lot of reason for optimism right now. Heading into this Friday night game with VCU. Number one, because they have won the last seven games, obviously um but more than that Duran Holmes over those 7 games has not scored less than 20 points tonight with 32 and against St. Joe's this past Wednesday you know the same thing he ended the game with, with 20 points uh he was a force had 12 rebounds and this is kind of what we're getting now consistently is hold the opponent under 60 get the ball down low to Duran and this is what the consistent result is going to be in in the A-10. I mean, we're going to talk about it on the other side of the break here, but with the way the conference has shaken out, you can be optimistic with, number one, how Dayton has improved over the last month since that Virginia Tech loss, but you can also be extremely optimistic because the rest of the conference stinks. And and, and I don't say that lightly. I'm talking about every team in the conference stinks probably outside of St. Louis. And that is what I'm willing to offer up. And you might say, well, you know, VCU is VCU. They're really not. Uh is kind of the same way. They lost to Duquesne, who, again, Dayton didn't struggle with. And I, I don't know how to impress this upon people more. It's like this is a two-headed monster. Dayton is improving. Their defense is great. But the A-10 stinks. And really what the conference slate is going to be littered with now is – kind of empty results while we all wait to see if Dayton stubs their toe. And and, you know, the hope obviously drew is that they won't do that.
3: No, that, that is the hope. And if they don't do that, uh, they're going to put themselves in pretty good position come March in my opinion. But you know, there's people that would disagree with that. But in my opinion, if they just keep stacking the, the quantity of wins, I think they can put position themselves for an at large bid if for some reason they didn't win the Atlantic 10 tournament which would be an extreme disappointment this season considering how head and shoulders above the rest of the league we are and we've made jokes about the A10 you know not being good and and stinking in years past but th- this one this year isn't a bit it's not a joke it this this is the worst Atlantic 10 that I could ever remember in my lifetime watching and from what I can gather it's not particularly close
2: yeah, um and to your point about f- uh stacking wins, you know, quantity over quality. You know, folks, the best I can offer up before we go to the break is Perception's Reality. And people thought that Fordham was a legitimate test for UD and that they were a serious team. They were going to give Dayton a serious effort. The line was only 7. And you know why? Cuz Perception's Reality and Fordham went into this game 13 and 3. So you look at that mark and you go, "Well, they got to be good. They're 13 and 3." But when you really dig into it, which a lot of people aren't willing to do, but I am, their best win was Tulane, who's 87 in Ken Palm, right? And then their next closest win was Harvard at 157. Every other win besides that one is 230 plus, okay? So we're talking about a team that has 11 wins against teams that are 230 plus, and Perceptions, reality. You look at that and you say, all right, well, this team could probably give Dayton a game. They have a good record, but quality and quantity are just not equal in college basketball. And I think as we head into February, as we head into March, as Dayton's resume starts to get scrutinized by the committee and the people that matter that uh, decide the at-large fate, I think that perception will be the reality. And the reality is they might overlook a good bit if Dayton can go 17 and 1 or 16 and 2 in a 10 play. And frankly, I think right now that is absolutely realistic to talk about and look forward to. Other side of the break, we're talking more about Dayton finishing up against Fordham 82 58. Impressive win for the Flyers as they extend that winning streak to seven before a home date with VCU. At the arena. Come on back, podcast feed and 1410 ESPN radio will be here, will you? This is Talking Out Loud. Rapid reaction with Sully Andrew. Welcome back in, talking out loud on 1410 ESPN radio and the podcast feed. Check us out wherever you listen to podcasts. Talking out L O W D, and if you are listening to the podcast feed right now, go ahead and hit that subscribe button, that like button, you know, wherever, wh- whatever is your your poison. Just do it. Helps us, you know. it, you know, gives the impression that people are listening to the podcast, which they are in great numbers. Um, and again, as we talked about in the last segment, perception is reality. Um, but thank you. We haven't had an episode in shoot six weeks that's been less than a thousand listeners. So that's all due to you. Thank you. Listeners. Thank you. Where, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys for tuning in. the winner. eighty two fifty eight uh, at Rose Hill gym, avenging their 2021, uh, loss there. And, uh, Anthony Grant can get some sleep tonight. No house of horrors for him. It's not Tom Gola arena for Archie Miller. No, sir. Oof. Anthony Grant is capable of winning at Rose Hill gym. And he proved it tonight. Um, you know, as we head through A-10 play here, Drew, um, I, I want to make an important point of how we're going to persevere through this season as fans of, and as loyal watchers and those that care about the program, right, is that it- it's dawned on me uh, this week, maybe the last couple of weeks here, that this is going to be an extremely hollow a10 conference slate probably the most hollow that I can ever remember in the later Archie years 1617 when Dayton had an at large resume that they were really trying to protect and play for we always used the term landmines we always said well you got to get through these landmine games there're certain games that you can lose there're certain games you can't lose um like at home at Fordham you know when you played Home against LaSalle, they'd still lose that game sometimes. But in a lot of those years, you know, going on the road to VCU, um, playing at, at GW, even playing at Davidson um in the that last year when Davidson got to the conference, playing at Richmond, St. Louis, those were usually okay games. And when I say okay, they're they're games that the Flyers can drop and it wouldn't be a huge blemish on their resume. And so when we walked through a 10 play, that was kind of the notion, right? Was that, well, just step over the landmines here and then play some tough games against these four or five opponents. And if we navigate that correctly, we will find ourselves out of the wilderness and at an at-large berth, which we did um, in all of those years. But as we've said time and time again, and and we'll continue to impress this upon listeners and anybody that is willing to take us seriously on this particular sentiment. um, You can't call them landmines because Dayton is literally just walking around on a ticking bomb right now. Uh, If we're going to stick with the the bomb analogy, which I I don't know, I just don't have a better one to come up with right now. And I, I think the overall point here is that, there's going to be a there's going to be a lot of wins in conference play. I'm going to shoot you straight. I mean, there is absolutely no way at this point I see Dayton even losing less than 14 games. Drew, agree or disagree? Before I continue, uh, g- agree. Winning, winning 14 games. Sorry, losing yeah,
3: agree. I I I wholeheartedly agree with that.
2: Yeah. So if we are to believe that the the, the floor is 14 games. Obviously, the ceiling would be 18 wins and zero losses. What we are headed towards between now and March 4th, which is the day after their last game at St. Louis on Friday night the 3rd, is that, Drew, we have 14 games remaining against teams 13 of those games. 13 of those games, not teams, but 13 out of the... Or Sorry, 12. Let me back up. 14 games remaining. 12 out of the 14 games are going to be against teams that are 100 or above in the rankings. Only St. Louis, who we played twice, is below that. They're hovering around 70, 80, depending on which metric you pay attention to. And so nights like this are, are going to become what is is the necessary cost of doing business. And unfortunately there's really not going to be those opportunities for like true excitement or there's there's not going to be games where we walk in and we're like surprised that Dayton wins because they're favored in every game for the rest of the season. Um, even in the St. Louis game, I've seen that score go back and forth a couple of times um, and it's like one point here or there. So, that line might just end up being a pick 'em at the end of the day on the road at St. Louis. So, again, I reiterate that a lot of the joy of the conference season, you know, getting VCU at home for the big one, or, you know, we got to beat St. Louis at home. It's like all of those games are going to be expected wins now. And it definitely takes the wind out of my sails as a fan a little bit. I mean, I I like watching the Flyers just as much as anybody and really like consuming the games. and, And, you know, watching Duran right now is absolutely electric. But, Drew, you can't help but feel like a lot of this is just so incredibly hollow because pretty much everything that Dayton is going to be doing moving forward is going to be expected, right?
3: Right. And, you know, it's not a too unfamiliar feeling for us with the the 1920 season, it was kind of that way. Obviously we had the St. Louis games and, you know, VCU was pretty tough back then as well, but you got to, what I, one of the talking points I had for that season was you got to bring your own energy on the nights when it's a team you're expected to beat. It's a team that is, you know, less talented than you. And you have to bring your own juice to the game to get yourself psyched up and ready to go. And I think the guys have done a really good job of that to start, this conference play season. Cause you know, let's shoot it straight. The first four teams we played, maybe you can make the argument outside of Davidson really haven't, aren't all that great. And I don't think they're going to finish all that great in the league. Um, VCU is one, you know, that's just, you know, based on history and, you know, the, what we've done with them in the past might have some extra juice to it on Friday night, but it's all about bringing your own energy as a squad. And I feel like they've done a really good job. And we talked about the Virginia tech game, you know, in the first segment. And in a weird way, I almost feel like that game was a blessing in disguise because we hit rock bottom. There's no doubt about that. And ever since then, ever since then, it's been upwards, onwards and upwards, and we've looked really solid in these last seven. And hopefully we can keep this going. The defense obviously is going to travel. And when you are a defensive minded team, I feel like you take care of those lesser opponents as opposed to when you have, like a very potent offense because you have off shooting nights. And when you have those off shooting nights, sometimes you let a team hang around. But when you're as good at defense as Dayton is, those kinds of performances come far less often.
2: Uh, And for listeners reference, a VCU wrapped up against Loyola Chicago tonight. They won comfortably. Yeah, Loyola stinks like they stink. And and I said this uh, before we went on. I I nailed that one. Like I I look at a young coach who's early in his career. They lost a bunch of starters. They move up in the league. They're moving up to a league where we're even having an off year, and they're terrible. I I just didn't see realistically, and I I try to look really hard at everything realistically, I just realistically did not see a path where they were going to be competitive in this league in year one. And, And I really did. We added them. I just... I thought, boy, this this really looks like George Mason all over again, and and so far, um, there has been nothing to prove me wrong in that regard. Uh, VCU a fourteen point winner tonight over Loyola Chicago that gets them to twelve and five heading into our tilt on Friday night, and that includes three and one in league play, uh, the aforementioned loss to Duquesne, but Drew. I want to hit you with some trivia here in the second segment because I, I want to nail down another this point again that I keep making because I, I I hate to say this, but I think that people just don't realize how bad the conference is. And I know you're you're sitting there right now. You're like, Sully, we we get it. We get it, man. You're broken record. But I'm not. OK, now Drew said something a couple of minutes ago where he said, yes, in the 2020 season, we were so good. We were expected to roll over those teams, which was true. OK, The team was a top 10 team in the metrics basically by the time we hit conference play. Okay, granted, right Drew? Yep. What my trivia question is for you tonight here in segment two. How many games out of the 18 in A-10 play did Dayton play against a top 100 team? And this will include, as like you said, they played VCU twice, they played St. Louis twice. So I want you to take into account that piece of information. How many games out of 18 in A-10 play in the 2020 season did UD play against a top 100 team? Go.
3: Okay, so the two with VCU, the two with St. Louis, that's four. I'm going to say Davidson was above 100 that year. That's five. I'm going to say Richmond was above 100 that year. That's six. I'm going to go with seven. You would
2: be incorrect. It was 10. 10 games. Because Rhode Island, who they played twice, was also Uh, above that threshold at 65. And Duquesne even snuck in at 95, and they also played them twice. So, again, 2 out of 18 this year. And and that might change just a little bit um, as we we get through and the the metrics get refined. But that year in 2020, where the league wasn't even that good. I mean, we might have had 2 bids that year. Maybe 3 bids in 2020. And Dayton played 10 games against top 100 competition. And so that's kind of what we're talking about right now and here in the second segment is if we get to Selection Sunday and Dayton is is realistically, let's say even, let's go as conservative as we possibly can, say they're at 15 and three, okay? That would mean that Dayton is at 23 and eight going into the A-10 tournament. And basically, if they, let's say they lost... Let's go in the championship, okay? Just for just for gigs.
3: Sake of of, uh, example,
2: for craps and gigs, because we're on the radio, okay? So that would leave them at twenty five and nine. Last year they were at twenty four and ten, okay? But as we said last year, they had the three really bad losses, but they were balanced out by the fact that they beat Miami, they beat Belmont, they beat Kansas, who was a top five team all year. So you can see what I'm getting at here, Drew. Yes. When you looked at the resume, you could see, all right, Dayton has look at the notable wins. You know, they're like, okay, hold on. We got some really good notable wins. No one was beating Kansas. That was a big one. They beat VCU. They beat Davidson, who was a top 40 team. It probably had like five games that were like very notable wins. Right. And then you had the three stinkers, uh, which ended up being four stinkers by the end of the year because they lost to LaSalle this year. If they showed right now, and even in this scenario, okay, uh, I guess the three losses would have to be stinkers at at this point. But let's play this out even further. If Dayton went 17 and one and all they did was lose to St. Louis on the road, okay, last game of the year, they lose 17 and one, okay. So that means that Dayton would be 25 and six. If they showed that screen on that day and it said notable wins and bad losses, there would quite literally be nothing in either column. Not one thing. There wouldn't be a Which single would be good sick. win. <laughs> there
3: wouldn't be, Which a would be single. Sick. Win.
2: <laughs> All right, we got 25 and 6. Dayton. Let's pull up the resume. And it's notable wins. Nothing. Uh, okay. Bad, bad losses. losses. None. Nothing. <laughs> that would in, be sick. I, I I think I've been asking this question to a lot of people. Like, my I, I think this is a really fascinating conundrum. Like, if Dayton continues down this path and Let's let's just say, you know, play it out however you want to in your head. How do you judge a team that hasn't lost, you know, maybe lost one game in the last three months of the season, but they haven't beat anybody and they haven't really lost anybody poorly? I just I don't know what the reality of that perception is kind of keeping with the theme of the episode here.
3: So like just to play hypothetical here, if if I were a committee member and I and I pulled up Dane, let's say the seventeen and one loss to St. Louis, all that, and I was looking and I saw this like, all right, they don't really have too many notable wins, but they don't have any bad losses either. I would be looking a little deeper into the schedule. It's like, all right, they were five and five at the end of November. And from the end of November on, they handled their business, you know, however many, like every game except for one from that moment. And to me, like, I know we, we talk about metrics and your resume and all that. There is a small part of me that thinks the eye test plays some semblance no, I agree. of a factor yeah. in here. And I got to think that, you know, these guys who are on the selection committee, they watch the games, they see Dayton, and they see the kind of team they can be, especially if they keep winning, going away like they have been yep. more times than not, uh, you know, since that Virginia Tech debacle. And I got to think when somebody would look at it from that kind of lens, I think it would lean into a better chance of Dayton getting into the tournament. Now, you know, that's all hearsay. We don't know how, pe- how they would actually view that, but that's just kind of my view on, even if it wasn't Dayton, if you gave me just a random, a random team that had these same exact metrics, that's just like, okay, well, how have they looked since this one dump truck and they took at the hands of an admittedly team that was better than them?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And we saw that play out a couple of times with like the St. Mary's of the world when they had, you know, an at large resume years ago, but they played in the West coast conference. They didn't beat anybody. They only lost to Gonzaga yada, yada, yada. That's basically kind of what we're fleshing out as a scenario that is possible right now. But as the old man adage goes, you can only play who's in front of you. And right now the, the best medicine for the fan base, for people getting back on board, um, for the at-large chances is is really just to win all these games comfortably. You know, I think Dayton's goal at this point is to prove to everybody that doubts the resume that is lacking results that they are hand and foot so much better than this conference, right? Like, I think the overall goal is to say, we understand the A-10's bad, but look, we proved over a three-month period that we are a considerably better team than even the second place team in the A10 which you know will probably end up being St. Louis. So, um I know we're looking way too far down the road. Dayton's only 4 and 0, they're 12 and 5, but they're playing better basketball and if it wasn't a relevant realistic conversation, I wouldn't bring it up, but it's worth bringing up, you know, they from now on Dayton's playing two games a week uh until the end of the season, I mean, they're, they're off week was their off weekend. They just had it um, from St. Joe's to Fordham. And so, you know, now you're, you're looking down 14 games over the next, uh, let's call it. I don't I don't know. I mean, what is it, like seven weeks? Um, you have to start seeing, like, what are the scenarios? How is this going to play out? How is Dayton giving themselves the best chance to get into the at large and uh, winning lots of games and winning them comfortably is the name of the game. We'll bring it all the way home. We're going to give you a segment three. We got to talk about Deron Holmes. He has been spectacular. We'll throw in some stats, and we will finish it up here. Dayton, the winner, twenty-four points is the margin, eighty-two fifty-eight. Come on back, whether you're on the podcast feed or fourteen ten ESPN Radio. This is the rapid reaction of talking out loud, L O W D. Welcome back! In talking out loud, rapid reaction segment three, bringing it all the way home. We appreciate you sitting through a short commercial break. Got to pay the advertisers and pay the bills around here. I'm Sully. He's Drew. We're breaking down a Dayton 24-point win to extend their record four zero in the conference, 12 and five overall, seven-game winning streak, and a bit of a bit of good news, Drew. Before we get into some of more of the stats and the figures from tonight's game. Uh, some good news officially from the coach. We heard it a couple of days ago through the grapevine. It does not benefit anybody to break injury news. Please keep that in mind. It does not benefit anybody to break injury news until you hear it from the horse's mouth. Uh, Anthony Grant uh, mentioned after the game that uh, Kobe Elvis and Malachi are back in practice. Um, whether that means they're going to come back in two weeks, two days. We'll see. The information that I got was that they're going to try and give them some minutes on Friday night, but uh, that is still probably a little bit too soon. I would say best case here, you see them by next week, but realistically, uh, they're going to have to get worked back into the lineup here over the next, eh, let's call it three, four games. Dayton goes um, home to play VCU Friday night. They stay home to play Davidson on Tuesday, January 17th and then they go out to George Washington the following weekend for an early game uh, 12-30 at the Smith Center in D.C. So that's the next three that are coming up here. And as we said, I mean, they're all winnable. You saw what they did to Davidson on the road. They get a quick turnaround. They get to play him again. VCU just has not looked that strong, and we typically take care of business when they come to our home gym. And, And George Washington is just... Just dreadful. They are just a disaster. They basically have one dude named James Bishop. And as you saw tonight, Dayton has the ability defensively to take away the top score for just about every team in the league. I'll actually go as far as to say that they can take away the top score for every team in the league. So, you know, should be looking at three more dubs. And then uh they go to the Archie Miller grudge match, at Rhode Island, and then finish the month home against Richmond and uh, home against Loyola a couple days later. So that's what's coming up. Uh, I think, honestly, if they could get any kind of minutes from those guys, Kobe, Elvis, and Mally over the next two games before they go on the road, that'd be great. Um, but as you saw tonight, Drew, I mean, I hate to say this, but they don't need them. Like, you don't need to rush these guys back. Dayton can win all four of their next games comfortably, and that leads you to saduary. Statu- Saturday, January 28th. So even if you sit these guys, if you're as conservative as possible, you're talking about them coming back in 18 days, right? And I mean, they don't have to rush back. They can win all these games without them. You saw it, Drew. You saw it with your yeah, own eyes.
3: For sure. And I and I completely agree with that. There's no need to rush them back. What we've had going on uh, since they departed with those injuries, since the Virginia Tech game has been working, you know, why mess with a good thing? Uh, interesting Note on the broadcast tonight was that uh, Dayton was planning on dressing them tonight, uh, not playing them, but dressing them. And then just decided not to, which to me is perfectly on brand for how Dayton operates, but that's neither here nor there. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, like you said, no need to rush them back. And when you do bring them back, you bring them in off the bench, no need to insert them right back into the starting lineup and, you know, play them those hefty minutes, just work them back in, get them back into the flow of things and try and prevent them from getting injured again. And then, you know, Hopefully by beginning of February, mid-February, the team will really start to gel, and we'll see you know the best form of this Dayton basketball team.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and I think that was the story of the first half. If you didn't catch the game, Dayton jumped out to a 10-point lead from the jump, 10-0 start, made it 12-0 before Fordham actually scored, and then Brea answered with a 3 immediately, so it was 15-2. Before you could even really get into your seat uh into your comfy couch seat and watch this one um you know fifteen point lead at the half dayton really did cruise from there again biggest lead we mentioned it earlier was or small the smallest lead rather was twelve or thirteen points game just never really got all that close um dayton was able to limit the turnovers in the second half and and frankly um It it, actually, I I take that back. Dayton was 8-8. and They had 8 turnovers in the first and and 8 in the second half. Fordham was able to limit the turnovers in the second half. They went from 12 to 3. But, um, I didn't really understand the game plan from Fordham. There were so many instances where they just left Deron Holmes one-on-one to post up with somebody. And, um, boy, I I really felt for that one kid that he just turned around and dunked over. It, It was shades of Obi, but, um, it was a dubious strategy tonight. Like Fordham really just did not play good help defense. They didn't focus the game plan on Duran. They didn't force Dayton to shoot three-pointers. We only took 14 of them. Uh, Brea was responsible for four of them, and he made them all. Those was his only contributions offensively uh, as far as scoring points. And, Drew, I, I just fully didn't understand their game plan. Last year when they played Dayton, I didn't understand their game plan. And it's it's kind of the same way. Um, they have two different coaches, so it's not necessarily applicable to compare the two. But you can't play Deron Holmes one-on-one. You just can't. You have to make him pass out of the post. You have to make Dayton shoot the threes. That's how they're going to be beat, is you deny the ball into the post. At the very least, you double him, and you force Dayton to kind of get into the passing game late into the shot clock. That is really going to be the only formula for how they get beat in conference play, as far as I see it.
3: Yeah, it, you know they they obviously felt that uh Symbala could hang with Duran. Uh, spoiler alert, he could not. Uh, at one point nope. he's told his teammates, uh, "I don't know what to do." Well, while, while <laughs> holding his hands out, so pretty pretty funny image there that you can find uh, on Twitter. Uh, but moment. yeah, it, uh, I didn't quite understand it either. There was one point where Duran was backing him down, and all four of the other defenders were, you know, glued to their man around the arc. It's like they, it's like they thought we were a forty-five percent three-point shooting team, which we clearly Aren't are those not. It was
2: fun to watch, though, where you're just like, "All
3: right, here comes." Oh yeah, two. it was all <laughs> eyes on. Yeah, all eyes on them. It's like they're playing pickup at the park or you're something like, right. like that. All right, two uh, points coming up. But yeah, uh, not going, not sending doubles. You know, especially when he's getting up to 20, 22 points or whatever it is. Uh, so, so yeah, you know, Duran's been a force, and I tell you what, uh, he's really starting to improve on his free throws. Eight of ten tonight feel like he's been shooting them pretty well in conference play. So if he can keep getting to the line and keep making free throws, he's going to have more 30-point games in the future.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. He's been being he's been sent to the line a lot more recently here, um, and he's become more effective. And that's uh, that was always going to have to be part of his game, just like you're seeing him step out more, take a few more jumpers. I'm not a huge fan of the low-percentage mid-range game, but if he can do it, guy's got to respect it and that's just going to open up things for him more to have the post moves because I think he gets unfairly compared to Obi, even though it's um it's something that I don't blame fans for doing he's going to get compared to Obi, but what I will say is that Obi Toppin has no equals when it comes to running the fast break um OB Toppin doesn't have equals when it comes to passing out of the post but Daron Holmes is a better defender than Obi was here at Dayton and he is a better post player. You can take both of those things to the bank. He just is. He gets easier buckets when he's playing against big men um, and and he's an elite shot blocker was last year, still is this year. He's such a, a looming presence down low. And um you know, it's not really a knock on Obi. They're just they're good at different things and and I hate to to do that and and do the comparison thing all year, but um you wanted to bring it up before the end of the show. And thanks for sticking around all the way to the end. Uh, Duron Holmes last seven games. Shout out to our boy Andy at a clean 27 for this stat. But last seven games, they go like this. 27, 24, 23, 22, 32 against Davidson, 20 points, against Joe's, and then another 32-point effort tonight on 12 of 15 shooting. That means your boy, Duran Holmes, is averaging 25.7 points since that Virginia Tech loss, and in that span, he is shooting a very nice 69%. Nothing surprising oh, about that, Drew.
3: And going back to the free throw stuff, do you know what he is shooting from the line in Atlantic 10 play?
2: I do not, know.
3: 25 of 31. Now
2: that, that... We'll get you into the first round of the uh, NBA draft. 25 of
3: 31 from the free throw line in Atlantic 10 play. He had a 4, four of 4 game against Duquesne in the opener. He was 8 of 10 tonight. He had uh, Davidson, he went wild. Hold on, give me one second here while I pull it back up. But Please Davidson, do. he had a really, really big day at the free throw line. Doing some filler time here while this gets loaded up. Duron Holmes, yeah. he was 9 of 13 against Davidson. So. You know, if he's going to shoot free throws like that, you know, if he's finally found that free throw shooting touch that we've been looking for for him, like I said earlier, he's going to have quite a few more of these kinds of nights.
2: The double team will be the only way to stop him. Fordham opponents were making 49% of their shots around the rim this season going into tonight. Dayton was 83% around the rim this evening. That is a wrap, and that is exactly why your Dayton Flyers are 24 point winners. Drew, final thoughts for all the people before we get them out of here and on to the next game Friday night against the rival VCU Rams.
3: We are on the radio, so I'm going to refrain from the profanity, but I don't like appreciate VCU. That. Blank VCU. Stay like loud.
2: That. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um I, you know, the not swearing thing. But, um, you know, I'll wrap tonight in saying that that there's plenty of room for optimism um, with the way that Dayton stubbed their toe in the first 10 games going five and five. They were always going to be playing behind the eight ball, so to speak. Um, but I, I will be honest with you. There is room for optimism because of how bad the A-10 is and because Dayton is moving their way into playing better basketball game by game and coming out of adversity in certain game situations to just simply just turn it around and overcome uh, the things that ail them, which are mainly bad three-point shooting and turnovers. And so I I leave you tonight saying that the at-large is very much still in play with just about every metric that you could look at right now. Um, Right now, at the time of this show, Dayton is 45 in Ken Palm, They are around 40 in Bartorvik. In the net uh, coming up, they will probably be somewhere around the high 50s. Those are all marks that will be indicative of an at-large team if Dayton can keep winning every game. I know that sounds like a tall task, but I promise you the A-10 stinks. Thanks for sticking around. He's Drew. I'm Sully. This is Talking Out Loud, where we do the rapid reactions, win or lose tonight. Dayton, the winner by to 58. Come on back. I might do one on Friday night. It'd be crazy, but we might do three shows this week. And we will see you next time as long as you're wearing red and being.
1: a martyr, I'll make you famous, turn around and make you nameless Cause you never understood how vital to me this rap game is Save it and hold that, you catch a hot one Rhymes chase a fake nigga down soon as I spot one Full Clip, if you wanna mess with this Hangstar, one of the best yet I'm nice, like nice, 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 nice It's all good, in this business of rap. Full clip, if you wanna mess with this Hangstar, one of the best yet I'm nice, like nice, that. Nice, nice. Till you're done Plus, more than ever I got my whole shit together More than a decade of hits That'll live forever Catch a rep of my name You're bound to fry Know how many niggas And I know It's down to die We never fail And we ain't never been frail You niggas talk crime But you scared of jail Full clip You wanna mess with this can One of the best yet I'm nice, nice. 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 It's all good In this business of Full clip You wanna mess with Nice, 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 nice. I suggest you take a rest. Attacking like a slick Apache. Lyrics are trigger happy. Blowing back your wig piece. Just for the way you're looking at me. Cock back, blow. I hit you up right now. I don't know why so many you all want to be thugs anyhow. Face the consequences of your childish nonsense. I can make your head explode just by my lyrical cool content. Get you in my scope and metaphorically snipe you. I never liked you. I gas that ass and then ignite you. The flamethrower. Make your peeps afraid to know you. How many times I told you. Play your position, small soldier. My heart is colder. Makes me want to resort to violence. Stop beating me in head nah, I'm not buying it, I'm ready to blast, ready to surpass and harass, I'm ready to flip, yeah, I'm ready to dip with all the cash, I hold my chrome steady with a tight grip, so watch it ready, cause this one might hit, the full clip, if you wanna mess with this, the hands, <laughs> one of the best yet, <laughs> my, I'm nice, 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 nice. it's So good, in this business a rap. The full clip, if you wanna mess with this, the hand the, 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 <laughs> the, 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 the best yet, I'm nice like that. So So I suggest you take a rest.